generally the Lord will speak to our hearts as we open the scriptures here in just a moment, but we don't know specifically, at least personally uniquely, of course God's going to tell you this one, this one, me, you, them, her, him. Our practice in our culture is to listen, hear what we hear, and then decide, and then decide. Okay, I'll, I'll cooperate with that. I'm on board with that. I'll support that. I'll submit to that. Or if we don't like it, then I'm doing that. I ain't doing that. We make our decisions based on the information that we receive. Hearing from God is totally different. Yes. Simply because He's God. Yes, that's right. We don't listen to say, well, let me see if I want to do that. I might do this and this and that, but I ain't doing that. We're listening to God. And God's not going to tell us to do that which is sinful or rebellious or harmful to us. You may think it's harmful to give more than you receive, but it's actually not. And the key is for us to get in, in, in view that unlike all other relationships, responding to God doesn't require contemplation or investigation. God speaks. We'll say. So even before we hear, let's decide to obey. But I, I want to take first an attitude of, of submission. And to say to myself, I'm not doing this for a show, to say to myself that I am submitted, I, I find it helpful to take a posture of submission. I bow at my waist, I, I drop to my knees. I'm saying with my behavior, my position, my posture, as much as I'm saying within my spirit, God, you are God, and I am your created servant. It would be my honor to obey. God, help us to, to achieve this, this level of submission, this level of compliance. We don't like those words, dealing with other people. We want the government telling us what to do. We don't even like our spouses telling us what to do. We sure don't want our kids telling us what to do. But you are God. You are God Almighty, Creator and Redeemer. And the wisest thing we can ever do is in attitude, in action, conduct, thinking, that we would be submissive to you. So I say again what we just sang. God, speak to our hearts, please. And we will obey. Because this advice, this encouragement, this instruction, this commandment, this love that you send to us is coming from you. And you've loved us like no one has ever loved us. God. So speak to us, please. In Jesus' name. Amen. We finished this morning our short series, Five Studies in the Month of October, on discipleship. I want to give you three 
illustrations of this last, and really it might be first. The last one we're looking at, but it might be first in, in, in significant and necessity or importance. I should have brought it. So you. If you didn't get this little card, get one on your way out this morning and keep it, look to it, refer to it, just because I'm done preaching on this in October, which is I, but we, Jose and I, finished the series. Uh, we'll be talking about this and doing this, well, hopefully when Jesus comes. These five levels of discipleship, from the largest, the most impersonal, to the smallest, to the most personal individual, is, is simply saying that the discipleship happens on all levels. The congregation level, these missional teams, you'll hear more about that in the weeks and months, many months into the next year to come. The social piece is what we typically call small groups, could be anywhere from three to nine or ten even, maybe. But these personal groups, they're definitely smaller. Two or three, four. We come down this morning to the last one, the smallest, it's just me and God. It's just you and God. Some people call this their prayer time, but I, I, I want to strongly encourage you that even that can become a cultural routine. I get up in the morning and I don't know what your morning routine is. I do this, I do this, I do this, and then I do that. And, and some people in their morning routine, you have, a, you have a prayer time. And I'm not about to mock that, but the problem is it becomes a routine. It becomes habitual. And, and, and then you get squeezed for time. Well, you know what I could do? I could combine my shower time with my prayer time, and I'll just pray in the shower. How about that? And I kill two birds with one stone, and I'm saving time, I'm saving time. And we're just checking boxes now. We're just checking boxes. And what you're going to see this morning from the three illustrations in the Scriptures, starting the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is not checking boxes here. And the big question keeps coming up. If Jesus felt it essential to get along with his Father, sinless Jesus feels the compulsion to get along and listen to his Father. How much more should we develop a good, not just habitual routine, but the emotional, spiritual, essential necessity? Nah, I need to spend some time with God. We start in Mark chapter 1. It's a short little scene in verses 35 to 39. Mark put the scriptures on the phone. You can follow over in the Bible if you prefer. Or the scriptures, did I say phone? I meant screen. Because our phones are now screens. How about that? So, talk my way out of that. Rising early in the morning. And right away I feel very guilty because I'm not a morning guy. But when we get to the next illustration in Luke, I feel better about myself. And you'll see when we get there. This one is for you early birds. This is for Jose. Jose gets up every morning. 3.30. And I'm not trying to embarrass him, but just in the general round number, how much time do you spend with the Lord every morning? An hour? Rising early in the morning, while it's still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. It says that now I lay me down to sleep, praying. In fact, let's go quickly to it and see the point. 
Simon and those who were with them, that's Peter, Simon is Peter, uh, and those who were with them, the other apostles, they searched for him. They got up after he did, after he's in a desolate, isolated place alone with God, his father. And they're like, where'd Jesus go? Where'd Jesus go? Jesus, 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 where'd he go? Where'd he go? And they found him and said, hey, it was looking for you. Come on, man, we got work. We have stuff we have to do. People are looking for you already. They want to hear. You've got questions to answer. Come, come, come on, come on. And Jesus seems to be saying to us, without opening his mouth, no, the greater work is not telling people how they should live. The greater work is hearing from the Father that I have something to give to the people who have got all these questions. Look at the next verse. 38, 39. Uh, I think it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 38, 39. He said to them, let's go to the next town. Let's, let's keep moving, fellas. And then there'll be a town after that, a town after that. Let's keep moving to the next town. That I may preach there also. Here's the phrase. This is why I've come out here to pray. This is why I've come out here to pray. We pray when we need more money. We pray when we want people to get off our back. We pray when our kids have messed up and we hope the scar does not run that deep. We pray to alleviate problems, to take away pressure, to ease our heartache. And I'm not saying that's wicked. I am asking, how often do you pray about ministry? How do you pray about giving grace? giving love, giving the gospel. How often do we pray like Jesus was praying? I got up early and I'm talking to my father because I've I got to get to the next town. And there's a town after that. And there's a town after that. And you have neighbors and neighbors and neighbors and, and children and grandchildren and, and this person at work and this person in the neighborhood and these people who think you're crazy because they know you live with Jesus. And, Lord, help me to find a wise way. I don't want to be ashamed of you. I, I don't want to be silent. The reason I'm out here praying, Peter, is I'm aware of this great opportunity slash responsibility. Opportunity and responsibility to demonstrate visually and to explain verbally the love of the Father that has sent me here to pay for our sins. That's why I'm praying. Now, how do I do this? Show me, place by place, person by person. That's why I came out here to pray. And then he concludes this short little paragraph in verse 39. He says here, And so he goes throughout all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and doing miracles. And we'll get to that in the very next session. That illustration. I think maybe the third one. He's praying for power, wisdom, and behavior. This is why I'm praying. To do ministry. This town, the next town. This is why I'm, I'm praying. This is what we do, Peter. And he goes throughout all of Galilee, verse 39 says, doing the same thing. Here and here and here. And you're thinking, Pastor, are you saying i got to buy an RV and just drive from town to town to town? I don't feel called of God to do that and knock yourself out. But my guess is that's not God's calling in your life. That we move from, well, I, I, I'm trying to disciple people in my house. And, and as I have opportunity to, my neighbor. And where I work. And where do I go to the gym. 
and 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 the same cashier I see at the British are all obese Asians. Check yourself out. Where do you encounter people? And where do you notice that you bump into pretty much the same people a lot? Well, that's uh, that's probably significant. That's probably an opportunity that we're all missing. Ongoing relationships. I'm from town to town, or person to person, or cluster to cluster. And everywhere I go, I have this opportunity and responsibility to share the love of Christ. And that's why Jesus is getting along to pray. Because i got some responsibilities today. I have some opportunities today. I don't want to miss them. I want the wisdom of God how to speak to each one, because each one's a little bit unique. The gospel doesn't change, but the illustrations we give to explain the gospel might change based on their comprehension or lack thereof. That's why Jesus is praying. We pray to make our nest softer. Jesus is praying for wisdom to seize these opportunities that he knows he's going to encounter. How much are you praying like that? How much of your quiet time with God is not a self-centered request, but other-centered opportunities? That's the first thing we see. The second one comes in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We start in verse 12. And here's what's happening in the Gospel of Luke. You'll see the same thing, only this time it's all night, not early morning. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I do love this verse, not because it makes me feel better about the way my time clock works, but it tells you about what's the word I'm groping for right here in this moment. It tells you about the, the wisdom and the broadness of God's use of methods that it's not always this way at this time. Now, if you're not an early morning person because you're wired that way, oh, okay, then you, you need to be truthful with yourself of how you, you live that out. If you're not an early morning person just because you're lazy, well, the Bible has a lot to say about that, by the way, and it's usually called sin. <laughs> However, his passion wasn't set by the clock. And that's what I want you to catch you. If you're a morning person, don't apologize for that. And I'm finally at this late stage of my life done apologizing for me not being a morning person. That's not to tell you that I don't get up at 5 or 6 in the morning because I do. But I almost never go to sleep before 2. It's very rare that I go to sleep before 2. Something happens to me around 8 o'clock at night that I get no matter how much I've been awake in the previous 24 to 36 hours. It really doesn't matter. But I get energized and I get curious and I want to read and I, and, and I, I, and I, I start coming alive. Arm goes to sleep and, and, and the phone doesn't ring and, and, and now the kids are out in the house and it's quiet. Only the dog is snoring. And there's no emails to answer, and there's no urgent, Pastor, Pastor! And I can study and read and think and pray and go upstairs and close the door and sing. 
Jesus out of burden, urgency, opportunity. He's continuing all night in prayer. So your early morning, if that's you, or your late in the evening, if that's you, it can't be a five-minute check-the-box talk to God today. He's pouring out his heart. He's unburdening himself to his Father, who is our Father, if you're born of the Spirit. When I was 16 and 17, I didn't much care what my dad had to say. Because I thought I knew everything. <laughs> Only to discover I know nothing. And you know what? He does pretty much know something about everything. And I began to listen. And then I began to ask him to speak. And he thought, my son has become a Christian. <laughs> He's actually interested in what I have to say. And then he died. And there have been 10 million times I've thought, well, it'd be nice to ask Dad what to do here. Jesus is talking to his father. Early in the morning, Mark's illustration. All night, Luke's illustration. Don't get stuck on the particulars. Catch the principle. Catch the principle in the scriptures here. Verse 13 on, we get an idea of why fight. When the day came, he called his disciples and chose them. That's why he was praying. There are a number of disciples that he could have made apostles. Apostles simply means sent ones. Disciples means followers. All Christians are disciples. All Christians are disciples. And in a real sense, all, all Christians, all of us, have been sent to somewhere. It might be very small circle and local. But the apostles, though, they were sent to go with Jesus around all of Israel. And then after the resurrection and ascension back to, to the Father, they're sent even to other nations. And that's still going on in our world now. This is what Jesus prayed all night. Out of all the disciples that John the Baptist turned over to me and that have joined me even after John the Baptist was beheaded. Out of all these disciples, which, which one should be the apostles? Ordaining a person to the ministry of, of pastoral preaching and, and, and being a shepherd, oh, that's no slight thing. And what he's praying on that. So, now comes the second question of application to us. How much time of your prayer time? I'm assuming you're having one and you're, oh, you're thinking, I don't even have a prayer time. I've got to start it. Well, get started right. Don't, don't, don't waste it, that time, on superficial, earthly, self-serving stuff. God, please make my life easier. Focus on the ministry. That's why Jesus is praying. Up early in the morning before the crowds came, getting ready for meeting the crowds. So the next town, the next town, the town that came. This passage, it's, it's more particular. I'm going to have to ordain some guys to appoint some guys to work alongside me because I'm only here for three and a half years. They don't know that yet, but I'm only here for three. And when I'm gone, they've they got to continue this work. Now, who, who do you want me to do for them? Who's that going to be? I think I've been pretty open and transparent with the congregation for the past 
we're going to talk about my retirement for, uh, I mean, I'm 69, a little bit late now, getting passed over to that wonderful 65 number that the government tells us. We've been talking about retirement for some time and praying, 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 God, who, who, where are we going to find and who and who? But I'm telling you, God is answering at least my prayer, and I hope you're saying it too. And he lists the names of the apostles that he mentions there by name. I want to get to verse 16, Mark. Look at the very beginning. List the names there, you see them. And notice verse 16. And Judas Iscariot was a traitor. The Bible doesn't point that out, and I'm not drawing your attention to it to tell you that, yes, they, even Jesus made mistakes. It is no mistake. It is no mistake that the Father prompted Jesus to select Judas the betrayer. That is no mistake. It is God's way of saying to us, look, you're always going to have the presence of evil no matter how high you raise the climate. I am a big believer that the more intense the flame the less dross. I mean, it gets, it gets burned up and turned to smoke and ash and, and you don't have to deal with it. But God has designed, God has designed, God has designed that we constantly be aware that evil is with us. And it's not always in that guy. Sometimes it comes in my own attitude and my own selfish thinking. We're always going to have to be dealing with evil, with sin, with rebellion, with selfishness, with worldliness, with carnality, with things of this life. We're never going to be done until we're perfected in his presence. So just know that, in fact, the verse says, it is inescapable, my word, not the scripture. It is essential. It is, it is unavoidable that evil will be present with us. But woe to him through whom it comes. Mm -hmm. Woe to him through whom it comes. So these first two pictures that we get of Jesus is all about ministry. Town to town to town. Area to area. Cluster to cluster. And the leaders of that. The apostles. And one, one was a traitor. I'm not saying the twelve is a magic number. There's always one in twelve. It could be two amongst three. Could be one amongst twenty. I, I, don't, I don't know what the ratio is going to be. But forget the other person. Let's work on it not being me. Evil is always going to be there. When you work with those seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three. Which one of the churches before he says, and I know where Satan's seat is. Mm -hmm. It's like Satan got his own seat in the pew in the church. I know where Satan sits in your church. Wow. You know how we all like our favorite seat? And if someone's been sitting there forever, and 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 a visitor gets here before you, some people will say, hey, you're in my seat. 
Uh, we got a few here. <laughs> Why don't we just designate, just give a spot some of this is Satan King. You see who wants to sit there? <laughs> Striking that that exact phrase comes in Revelation. I know where Satan's sitting in the church. God may it not be my seat. The key here is, is who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Because all of us are pouring into someone else and we've got someone pouring into us and if not, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. I'm receiving spiritual maturity from someone else and I'm trying to humbly pass it on to someone else. And we're, we're all in this transitional flow. Receiving and giving. Receiving and giving. Who, who do I who do I invite into my small group? And what small group do I look around and say, I need to be in that group? I know what they're dealing with. I know what they're working through. And I see the people that come out of there, quality, deep people who are in love with Jesus. I want to be in a, an environment that produces that. What circles do I need to put myself in? And, and with humility, how do I think I might be a blessing and encouragement to someone else and bring them into this circle, this little group that I'm a part of? Who, who is God burdening your heart? I've, I've never even discipled my own children. That should be a great place to start. There's this guy at work. He's always asking me these questions. Maybe, maybe he's like, you know, you know, I have these questions. Maybe we should meet for coffee a couple times a month, once a week. What? You open to that? You talk about your questions. He's praying about ministry. Of the three illustrations we've got, two of them are about ministry. Don't miss that. I'm not telling you're wrong to pray for all the stuff that got you upset. Oh, this, oh, this, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. It's all about me. My problems, my health, my money, lack thereof. It's all about me. Jesus is praying about ministry. Number three, book of John, Gospel of John, chapter five. This one will slow down just a bit. Still talking about ministry, but it's more of the practical. How is he doing ministry? The people, we see that the first two. Here, starting in verse 18. This is one of the Jews who seek to kill Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, because they had been walking through around this field and, and they hadn't eaten all day and, and there was no it wasn't like a, a restaurant a little cafe whatever they would call them when Jesus gave stop and said eat and they were passing through this, this uh, field and, and it was corn so he said well just grab some ears of corn and, and shuck it and, and you know wipe off the, the stuff and we'll eat it we'll eat it cold and uh by the way, that's not stealing because everyone was it was very communal. He's not stealing. But the Pharisees, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. They, they took the corn. They didn't stop. They didn't wash their hands. And they just ate it. 
Can you believe it? And Jesus said, Dude, think Jesus ever said that? Sir, hey, knucklehead, what do you say? Hey, Pharisee, self-righteous. It's, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. So that slander and cursing and condemnation comes out of your mouth. That's what defiles you. So, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, taking corn on the Sabbath, walking through this field, taking corn, working and eating. This guy ain't no Christian. He ain't no rabbi. He's even calling his own father, he's calling God his own father. Which everyone knows. They're saying you're equal. You come from God in a, in a little biological, essential way. That you're the same as God. You came from God. You are God in, in that sense. How do you break the Sabbath and all these details they didn't like? You claim deity. Oh, that's blasphemy. And now we've got our reason we're going to kill you. <laughs> now you've given us the opportunity we've been looking for. There's verse 18. It's really a standalone verse. The paragraph, the next paragraph opens in verse 19. As, as the, the verse 18 sets the scene. It sets the stage of this is, this is what makes them publicly say, okay, now we're coming after you. They think it privately for a long time. Now they think they've got legitimate legal reasons to do so. And they start in verse 19. True, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father do. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows him all that he, the father, is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, the son, me, Jesus, will be referring to himself. He's doing this so that you may marvel. He spends a lot of time in, in, in verses 19 and 20 talking about what the father is doing to him. The Father is affirming me. The Father is giving His approval of me. The Father is giving me all of Himself. He's doing this for my benefit, but He's also doing it for you. Look at the very end of verse 20, so that you may marvel. Not that we'd be impressed, but that we would be convinced, oh my goodness, He is God in the flesh. Oh my goodness! He thinks like God. He speaks like God. He does miracles like God. <laughs> We're convinced He is God in the flesh. In the flesh. Jesus is praying, Father, let them see you in me. Now there's a good prayer that we could get in our prayer time. We spend all our time, God, take away all my pressures, take away all my problems. The fact of the matter is, if you didn't have pressures and problems, you wouldn't pray as much as you do. You'd pray less. Well, I know I would. And I'm assuming you're not that much smarter than me. God gives us pressures. They drive us to our knees. They God, help me. How about if we could learn to not just pray on the other side, oh, I'm, I'm being decimated, I'm, I'm getting killed here, I need some help. How about if we learn to pray up front, God, I know trouble's coming. Would you give me wisdom to work on it? Yeah. 
Jesus said, the Son is dependent on the Father. He can't do nothing of his own accord. He's dependent on the Father. So this is the dilemma. This is the confusion. Our, our, our comprehension fails us here. That he's God, and yet he takes the flesh and he's a man. And we assume, well, he's God, so okay, okay, he's just kind of kind of floating through the world. He has no temptation. He, he has no struggles. He never gets hungry. He never gets tired. Because he's God. See, he, he's just coasting through, and it's all a big show, right? No, no, not at all. He is tired, and he's hungry, and he feels betrayed, and, and he is not afraid, but he's not enjoying pain. He's not masochistic. He's dependent on the Father to sustain him, just like you and I, day by day by day by day. He keeps his eyes on the Father. He sees what the Father is doing. If he does it, I'll do it. If he does it, I won't. If I know anything, Jesus would say, He loves me. And the way I know He loves me is not because He gives me an easy life. Oh, is that a uniquely American concept? Right, right. If you really love me, you, you, you would never raise your voice at me. Like the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing. This is what we're about, son. That's what Jesus needs to learn. But you get the point here. He does this, does this, that you, us, we may marvel. That God's going to do the same thing for us. He's going to pour himself into us. He's going to disciple us. That I'll never be equal with God, but his character will come to me. His character will come. His compassion will come to me. His shepherding heart will come to me. Wow! Why don't we pray for this? God, would you disciple me the way Jesus discipled the twelve? We don't pray about ministry. We don't pray about the people that I need to receive from and the people I need to give to. We, we, we don't pray about that. We, we definitely don't pray about this kind of power. We want power, but we want power to make money. We want power to be impressive. I could write a book. I could go to 700 Club. I could be a Christian celebrity. And Jesus says, why don't you just be a Christian parent? Right. Right. Let's start there. Right. A Christian employee, a Christian neighbor. And disciple your own little servants. Some guys at the gym, some 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 girls in, at the at the cafeteria work. I, I don't know your circles, all the circles. And let them see Jesus in you, that they may marvel. Not to be impressive, but to say, something different. Something's different. You don't always tell us how sinful we are and they should be like you. There's a gentleness to your spirit, but we marvel at it. There's a compassion in you we haven't seen in a long time. We marvel. What's happened to you? That other people may marvel as a result of Jesus praying. 
He finishes in verse 24. Start in verse 22. I skip down to verse 24 as well. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 23, verse 23. We marvel and then honor the Son. Oh my goodness! Oh, oh my goodness! That all may honor the Son. Marvel, but then say, boy, God is doing something in them, them being you and I. People will marvel when they see Jesus at work in your life. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. We all understand theologically the inseparableness between the Father and the Son. I'm not sure, I'm not sure people see the same lack of distance. They see the inseparableness between us and Jesus. That's what I'm asking you to pray for here. And the same with the people. They saw the Son, they saw the Father. And they knew the inseparable connection. If you're letting people think, well, you're really a smart, insightful guy, you're missing the big picture. They shouldn't be drawing the conclusion. He's really a smart, insightful guy. Girl, woman. No, the conclusion being, I just sense a lot of God in them. Not because they're holy. And they say, God. No, because they're gentle and merciful and kind. And they do weird stuff like turn the other cheek and go the second mile and serve without complaining and sacrifice without bragging about it. Wow. There's something about them. In fact, I know a little about their life. They at least have some problems that are exactly like mine. And now one problem, I, I hope I never have to go through that. And they all seem to be phased. They, they just keep smiling. How do they do that? I'm getting bitter. Because the Father's in them. How did Jesus do it? Because the Father was in them. Not mystically, magically, yeah, I'm Christ, but it really doesn't bother me. I'm just hoping this whole thing gets over and don't go back to heaven not long. As much as you can be in the flesh completely without sinning, that was Jesus. He knows our pain. When we see his reaction to this world, we marvel at him because we see the Father in him. And then finally, verse 24 and 20. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my words believes in who sent me. That's the key. Our conversations, our speech, our explanations when people ask us the reason of the hope they see in us. I love that person, Peter. It comes down to this passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24. That when you hear my words, like Jesus, you heard Jesus' words, you understand, oh, that came from the Father. You hear my words, Jesus said, you believe him who has sent me. Jesus has not sent, I did not come, and the Father has not sent me to bring judgment. Judgment will come later, still in our future. There is a judgment day to come, at the end of all time. This loving, Merciful, kind, long-suffering, 
long-suffering God is merciful, merciful, merciful. But at some point we will see that he is also just. And eventually he will punish sin. We live now in a day of grace. But the day of, the day of judgment will come. It will not be pretty. It will not be pretty. This whole big story is foretold to us in the opening six or eight chapters of, of, of the whole Bible in the story of, of, of Noah. That there's creation, it's sinless, it's blissful, but we wrecked it with our rebellion. We did that. And it got progressively worse, progressively worse, progressively worse, in a very short, almost like a prologue to a great story. And then the flood came. Because this merciful God, who's done everything for us, even forgive us, is continually forgiving us, it got so bad, he had to show his justice. And he did. And then the prologue ends, and the rest of the book, right up until now, is we're still seeing the same thing. And when people heard the, speak, the preaching and the teaching of Jesus, they said, those who had ears to hear said, oh, that's the problem. Now, the Pharisees who were losing religious control, their offerings are going down. Their parishioners are going to this crazy rabbi guy. Oh, uh, we got to kill him. In the name of God, they're going to kill him. Not knowing he isn't that God in the flesh. How blind can you be? Wow. And if you think these principles are still at work in the world today, you're not getting the big picture. You're not seeing what's going on. Our lives, not that I'm divine like Jesus, but I am filled with his presence. His Holy Spirit is in me. And in you too, if you're born of his spirit. When they hear our speech, they see our lives, and, and hear our, 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 see our demeanor, they should believe in him who has sent us. For he, not us, he has eternal life. Right now is still the day of grace. The day of judgment will come. But right now, the door is open. Come unto me, all you that labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek. Oh, gentle. Come. Come. Is that the sense that people get from you? You know, he's mad and cranky. He just goes to church. I can be mad and cranky and stay home. I don't know why he goes to church. I haven't changed them. It's this last level of discipleship. It's just me and God. And I'll pour out my heart, and then I'll try to listen. I'll read some scripture. I'll try to listen. I've never heard an audible voice in my ear. I have friends who say they have. I say, I can't tell you you're crazy. That's your experience, not mine. But I know some thoughts have come in into me that they're not, they didn't begin with me. That was so different than my thoughts. In fact, the Bible says my thoughts are not as high as the heavens are above the earth. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And some, some God-honoring thoughts. Some selfless thoughts. Not selfish. Some other-centered thoughts. They're common. That, that must be God. 
That has to be God. This ought to be the way we get disciples directly from God himself. We come into his presence. We clear our mind out of all other issues. This is not about me. I need to spend some time with my father and hear from my father, my heavenly father. And he'll speak to me about my own heart, my own life, my behavior, my parenting, my being a husband, being a pastor, being a neighbor. And I'll ask questions. And, and verses will come to mind, and I'll find those verses, and I'll say, oh, there it is. Remember the old hymn your grandmother probably sang? He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me, I am his own. And the joy we share is Wouldn't you like to have that? Then get up early in the morning. Or stay up late at night. Turn your phone off. Isolate yourself and cry out to your daddy, Jesus, Father God, and say, I, uh, I'm in over my head. And I've made it worse. All my splashing and flailing around and crying and screaming and blaming everybody else. I'm drowning here, God. I'm drowning. And I can't blame the rest of the world forever. How much of this is me? What do I need to fix? Who do I need to repent to? Ask forgiveness from? What other or thing can I do? Stop making it about me. Give more than receiving. God, what do you want me to do? Where do I start? I think he'll speak to you. We start at the highest level. We hear things on the congregation level. We're trying to create these, I'm calling them mission teams. This team keeps us on track with this mission. This team keeps us on track with this mission. We're going to hear in just a second, if I get done here, we're going to, we're going to finish up on what you hear from Denise Hall this morning. That's a big mission there. I'll spend that in just a second. What about small groups? Are you a small group? Are you, are, are you saying to someone, I need to be held accountable? Some of you are in some dilemma. You've got some inconsistency, some hypocrisy in your Christian life because no one's holding you accountable. You need to get in a small group and say to those people, girls to girls, men to men, I, uh, I, I, I catch myself living a double life and I hate myself for it. I need your help. Could you hold my feet to the fire? And some of those small groups, and I'm in a number of them, some of them are real small because the stuff we talk about you don't want to say that to like 12 people because 12 people can keep no secret. It's hard enough two or three. Now, I'm not trying to keep a secret for hypocrisy's sake. I'm trying to keep a secret to restore marriages, strengthen families, so you don't get fired and pay the money back for they realize you sold it. But whatever your issue is, they hold each other accountable. You got to fix this stuff. But nothing replaces just me alone talking. However, it does eliminate the need for me with other brothers and sisters. 
I need the physical interaction of groups. But I do need to be alone with God and feel His finger just running over the, the, like the, the, the rim of the glass and oh, there's a crack. There's a crack. Son, son, I want to deal with this crack right here. Okay, God, you got it. That is fellowship. Jesus prayed about ministry. If you're going to get discipled on that level, you're going to have to start thinking about what's my ministry? How do I spread the gospel? How do I pour into people? It's not all about you. We give. And in our giving, we receive. Denise, come with me just now. We'll make a transition. I want you real briefly. Just come stand here with me. I want you to hear. Ask you one easy little question. Denise, like, wow.